There was a man, early 1900s, who was trying to head from Europe to the Americas. Poor. No money, no family. He's trying to get from there to here. He has that dream. If I can just get to the Americas, maybe I can establish something and get something going. So he heads towards the ship that he's going to try to sneak across on. And he's trying to get on that boat without a ticket. And a friend of his stops him and says, hey, wait a minute. I actually have a ticket that can get you across from here to there, and I'm not going to use it. Why don't you just take it? And hands the ticket across. He had decided not to go. So this, this guy takes the ticket, and he says, thank you very much. Goes on the boat, goes into the hull of the boat where the rest of the people are who at least got a ticket across, and they've got the money. Not. But they've got the dreams in their pocket. They're going after what they can get. They did bring food with them. Most of them did. Now he didn't. And so for the next few weeks, as they're going across, he is scrounging anything he can. Crust from this family and, you know, a little bit of water over here. And he made friends with the people in the kitchen so that he could get little scraps from them. And he was just getting little bits here and there to survive. Finally, he had to go out into the hallways and start asking. It started getting really bad. He was actually going down the hallway in the hull at the bottom of the ship, trying to find people that could give him any extras. And as he was walking along, he ran into somebody who was running the ship. And one of those people stopped and they said, I need to see your ticket, please. And he goes, oh no. He hands him the ticket. They look at it and they said, what are you doing down here? And he said, what do you mean? And they said, your ticket is for the third floor cabin upstairs. What are you doing in the hull of the boat? He's like, you're kidding me. I thought this just got me in the hull of the boat. And they said, absolutely not. Let me show you. And they walked him upstairs to the third floor and they opened up this cabin door and he had a full shower and a bed and a place to change and he could get his clothes washed. He had been living in the hull eating scraps and he could have been living rather wealthy in his cabin. And going down to these huge banquet dinners of the all-you-can-eats. He never knew it, but the privilege was his. Don't we often do that with our own Christian walk, with our own spiritual walk? I mean, how often do we actually live the full privilege of what God has made available to us? We have a ticket to a relationship with him that lasts for all eternity and is more satisfying than anything else. And yet we so often go after the lesser, living in the hull of the boat, begging for scraps. You know, today we're in a series, uh, In His Light, Evidences of God's Grace. We're looking at Ephesians chapters 1 through 3. And the Apostle Paul decided when he started writing to the church at Ephesus, I am just going to pour out some theological truth. I am going to let them know in the first three chapters all the things that they have in God. Evidences of God's grace. In His Light. When we stand in the light of God Almighty, what is it that we get? And today we're going to be looking very clearly at how we get to live the full life ticket of a relationship with Him. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You know, the ushers have some Bibles and they're going to be coming forward. Uh, if you do not have a Bible with you, we'd love to get one into your hands. Just raise your hand, we'll get a Bible to you. We will be walking verse by verse through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Just raise your hand if you need one. I'm going to start reading. <clears throat> and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our left flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Apostle Paul, getting a message written to the church at Ephesus, he starts with this section, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This whole set, all 10 verses here, one sentence. One sentence in the Greek. He is just going after it. This is the Apostle Paul. You can imagine as he starts saying it and he's got somebody writing it down for him. He's just saying and saying and spinning and saying and, and he gets this whole truth captured in these 10 verses. There's a lot of passion captured here. We could say, thank the Lord for semicolons and periods, right? So we get to at least break it down a little bit and we get to take a little closer look at what's happening step by step through this. Paul really just exploding onto the scene of God's grace and what it means to us. So let's start with where he started. Recognize that you were dead. Recognize that you were dead. This is his first point in how can we enjoy the full privilege of a ticket with God. Recognize that you were dead. He starts out here, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And you were dead. You know, we hear that word a lot, the word dead. So we have to be careful when we hear it that we don't just kind of move past it. The word is a very stark, firm, harsh word. The word means lifeless, not responding, no heartbeat, no brain activity. That's what the word dead means when we say that, right? On a slab, in the coffin. It's a stark word. Dead. You were dead. But he goes on and he says, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So we know he's talking spiritual death. He's not saying that they experienced some kind of physical dying and coming back. He's saying this is a spiritual death that you experienced. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay, so let's break that down. In your trespasses. This word means violating a known law. I knew it was wrong. I did it anyway. I knew I should have been doing it, but I didn't. So omission or commission, right? Either way, I knew that I shouldn't be, and I did it anyway. Violating, trespassing. Sin. It's kind of a general term that means violating the holiness of who God is. Whether I knew it was wrong or not, it's still my issue. I've stepped away from him. There's part of me that's wrapped up in what I'm doing, and it's become a sin, okay? Violating the holiness of who God is. It's taking attention away from the creator and putting it on the created. It's going after my stuff, my way, my time. So 
whether it was known violation or a general violation of the holiness of God, we were walking in it. We were dead, lifeless, no response, no activity. We were not awake to who God was spiritually, dead. John MacArthur puts it this way. It's the inability to respond to stimulus, dead. The inability to respond to stimulus. Okay, so we got that pretty clear. He starts off basically with a one punch right to the face, right? You were dead. Harsh, stark word. Trespasses and sins. Then he goes on. He says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So what does it look like to be doing this thing where you're dead in trespasses and sins? Well, you're following after two things. The course of this world and Satan himself, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. What does it look like to follow after the course of this world? You know, where you're kind of caught up in the things of this world, the stuff of this world, money, power, prestige, title, possessions, nice car, nice home, nice clothes, whatever it might be, right? Maybe it's deeper than that. Because it says after that that we were following after Satan himself. What was the thing that Satan was guilty of as he stood before God Almighty? I will be like the Most High. In other words, I'm going on the throne now. It's pretty much going to be all about me. I'm thinking right now a good answer here would be to celebrate me. Okay? The me world, right? That is what it means to follow the course of the world, the course of Satan. It means that as we get distracted by this world and by the stuff, we are most distracted by saying, I kind of like the way that sounds, this me thing going on. I'm going to please me. I'm going to celebrate me. You know, America has a way of saying it where they kind of talk about whatever's good for you, the relativistic thought, right? Well, you know, you may think one thing and you may think another, and hey, whatever's good for you no absolute truth. That makes us God. That's the problem with it. The answer is there is a creator on top. And he's saying, I have plans and purposes. And we need to be about those. We have a God who has designed us lovingly and passionately. And yet we say, I will be like the most high. My way, please. That's what it means to follow after the course of this world, to follow after the spirit that is now at work there the prince of the power of the air. Selfishness at all levels. Okay? We were dead in that. It says right after it in verse 5, among whom, or I'm sorry, verse 3, among whom also we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. So he gives us even further description here. In the passions of our flesh, the desires of our body and mind. So basically, if I wanted it, if I hungered for it, if I thought about it, I'd go after it. Food. Pretty much whenever I want food, I'll get food. Money, power, sex. Whatever the stuff is that's going on in your life where when you say, if I want it, I'll get it, thank you. That's the course of this world. Self-control, that's fruit of the Spirit. So we're called to a different lifestyle than what the world is. And he said, at one point, you were dead. You were in the world. You were walking just like the world walked, satisfying their own pleasures anytime they wanted. 
Desires of the body, desires of the mind, desires of the flesh. Going after it. Okay. He says right at the end there, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is crucial to get. Children of wrath. Again, not a light word. The word wrath. God's wrath is fully effective. God's wrath is fully effective. And the end of God's wrath is destruction. Destruction. God's wrath is not what's used to teach and train people. God's wrath is used to punish and destroy. That is the end of God's wrath. That's what hell is. It's God's wrath being meted out, okay? So when it says we were children of wrath, we were living like the rest of the world, and we were standing in the same place as the world, this is basically tying together with like Romans 3.10, where it says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. We all stand in the same place initially, which is not leaning on the Lord, doing our own thing, coming up short, imperfect. We stand as unrighteous. We stand, like he says here, as children of wrath. That's our position, like the rest of all of mankind. This is quite the start, the start huh? Nice three verses. <laughs> Just remember, though, you were dead. Key word. You were the children of wrath. Key word. Past tense, right? He is saying, think of it as historical. Recognize where you were. It's not where you are or where you're going, but you must know where you've come from to grasp the gravity of what's changed. You were dead. You were going after self, and it was a train wreck. Good message coming, okay? You know, when I was 23... I, uh, I had talked about this analogy back about a month ago, but it works well here. So when I was 23 years old, uh, I was at the U of I as a student uh, in engineering, and I got a phone call that my sister, who was 20 years old, had, uh, had an aneurysm, and she was up north at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. So I grabbed all my stuff for homework, threw it in a bag. It was a Friday morning, threw it in a bag, took off, and went up to Northwestern. And, uh, you know, basically my thoughts were, we'll be praying a lot. God will have to work a lot. I'll do a lot of homework in the hospital. And, you know, by Monday, we'll see what, what he's doing, you know. I got out of the elevator on the fourth floor at Northwestern, and my mom came up to me, and she put her, her hands on my elbows, and she said, you need to understand that the doctors have declared Stephanie as brain dead. She is not responding to anything. The aneurysm has completely taken everything. So they're giving us a chance to say our last goodbyes. That's where we're at. I mean, I was devastated. And as I walked into that room to say my goodbyes, and I saw my sister laying there lifeless, I can't explain to you. I mean, when the kidney and the liver stop working, and the water starts collecting in the cells, and, and she just looked totally different. Death was creeping in on her, and they had declared her physically brain dead. And my prayer was, God, I'm looking for a miracle. We're ready and we're waiting for you to raise her up. And I'm telling you, we'll give you the glory. We'll tell everybody everywhere what's going on to your name 
let's just watch her come back to the praise of your glory. You know, we met with the doctors and the nurses and we had to make the decision and my, I, will, I will never forget the moment where my father had to decide that we would stop the machines and um, the, the moment of silence in that room and the nurses beginning to cry themselves. It, it was a tough moment. And they decided that they would do it after we left at 10 p.m. that night. And so as we drove home, my plan was to sit by that phone and wait for the call from the hospital that said, we've pulled the electricity, and she sat up. I don't understand. You guys need to get back down here. I sat by that phone until 1045 and 11. Never did get that phone call from the hospital. God had a different plan. He had a different way that he was going at things. I thought I had a pretty good plan myself, you know. It's one of those. <clears throat> but God's plan was different. You know, Stephanie had shared her faith with hundreds and hundreds of kids. She was dynamically, passionately going after that. She was a student at Moody, loved sharing her faith with her friends. And um, I'll just keep going. So uh, as we were going along talking about what happened, hundreds of kids coming to know Christ through this situation. Not an opportunity that I knew God was going to do but we didn't get the phone call that we were hoping to get. Here's the reality. As I walked in and saw Stephanie laying there, lifeless, that's what Paul is saying you were in. You were laying lifeless on the bed. Nothing. No response. Nothing. God Almighty would be needed if there was any life to be seen there was no response capable. So here's my two questions for you application-wise. Number one, if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, just wait, because point number two is coming, okay? And we're going to get to it. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and this three verses here, we're dead, we're children of wrath. If that applies to you, past tense, my question is this. If life has been breathed into you, are you ready to sit up and get going? If life has been breathed into you, are you ready to say, let's get it on? No way should we be laying in that bed. No way should we be experiencing the passions of the world. Dead to sin is where we're at. Not dead in sin. Major difference, right? Dead to sin, not dead in sin. It's time to sit up and breathe the spiritual life of God Almighty in you. Amen? That's where we need to be going. That's what we need to be going after. God has performed CPR, spiritual life in you. You can sit up and move in him. Enjoy life. Enjoy it deeply and richly and passionately. You were dead. You were a children of wrath. You are not dead now. Amen? That is where Paul started. Remember, it's all one big sentence. He's just running on with it, okay? So, are you ready to live life? Recognize that you were dead. It's time to start living life. Amen? All right, here we go. Second, how do I do it? Embrace that God has made me alive. Embrace that God has made me alive. Verse four. I love how Paul starts this out. But God. Notice he doesn't say, but you... He doesn't put the effort on you. He says, but God, 
but God. And then he puts a couple of sentences or a couple of uh, little phrases in here. We'll jump down a little bit to verse five. He says, but God made us alive together with Christ. That's what he did. God made us alive together with him. We serve a God who performed spiritual CPR on you and brought you back from the dead. He went after you with all he had. God made you alive. How did he do it? Look what it says here in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy. Now remember last week we talked about the word rich. It's sort of like wealthier than the wealthy could imagine. That's what this word means. We walk past words so quickly. This word is like, picture this as a giant vault. And it's filled to the top full to the back, full to the front, full everywhere. And as you open up the door, it comes pouring out upon you, filled, rich. That's our God. With what? Rich with what? What's in that vault? Rich with mercy is what it says here. Our God is rich in mercy. Well, what does the word mercy mean? It means, you know, the punishments you deserved, I'm not giving them to you. I'm holding that back. Rich in mercy is our God. We deserved eternal separation but he's going after a relationship with us and pulling us in. Rich in mercy. That's what our God is. Now he says right after it, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. What motivated him? His love for you. But more than just his love for you, his great love for you. Can you imagine Paul walking back and forth trying to give this thing and he's trying to explain and the Holy Spirit's moving on in him. He's like, because of God's Great love for you. Not just love, great love. It's just pouring out everywhere, man. That's the God that we know. The God who loves you so much that he is jumping into your life and making an impact so much that you went from dead to living. That's the God we're talking about. Amen? A God who is rich in mercy because of the great love that he's got for you. That's the God that we celebrate. That's the God that he's showing to us here. Evidences of God's grace because of the great love with which he loved us. And then he starts verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we didn't sit up first and then he brought the stuff to us. We were dead and he breathed life in and sat us up. God at work in us. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I mean, what a phrase to memorize. For by grace, you have been saved. Verse six is an awesome lead to verses eight and nine. By grace. One thing we have to keep in mind is the word by. It means authority here. The agency of grace. God's work being poured out on you. Giving you that which maybe we didn't even deserve. Grace. What a giving, loving God. Pouring out on us. God's grace at work in our lives. Now he says here, you want to know what difference it made? He didn't just breathe life into you and sit you up and then walk away. That's not what he did. Look at what he did. This is a reference back to Ephesians chapter 1. It says here he, in verse 6, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you remember in Ephesians 1 where it's talking about the power of Christ? We just finished in this last, uh, last week. He takes his power and he picks Christ up, raises him from the dead, brings him up into the heavenlies, seats him next to him with all authority and privilege and honor. Jesus Christ changed for all eternity what you and I go through, through the power of God Almighty. 
He raised him from the dead. He seated him in the heavenlies and he has all authority and privilege and power. And now he says, guess what? You too. Get ready. You have a relationship with that God, that power at work in Christ. It's at work in you too. He is raising you from the dead. He is seating you next to him. Wow. That's what we need to be saying when we hear this. Are you telling me he's treating me just like Jesus Christ? Are you telling me his power is being unleashed in my life like it was in Christ? Wow. That's what we need to be hearing here. Okay? God at work in us. Raising us from the dead. Giving us new life. Seating us next to him. He's using this kind of word picture. Imagine, if you will, a king is in the castle. Big, tall, strapping king. Stands up. Huge flowing robes, shiny crown, all of it. He comes walking out of his kingdom, out of his castle. And he walks out into the general area. And there is muck and there is gunk and whatever on the ground. And he looks and there in the middle of his creek, laying in the mud, is someone dead, a corpse. And he reaches down to the corpse and he breathes life into them and sits them up. And stands them up and he walks them back to the kingdom, into the castle, into the throne room, up to where he would be seated. He cleans them off. He robes them and he sits them next to him and says, I adopt you as mine. Call me daddy from now on. That's the change that we're going through. Hey, sound stopped. I thought maybe it just stopped the whole picture up there. So I didn't know. God at work in our lives. The king taking us from dead out in nowhere land to ushered into the kingdom center next to him, next to his throne for all eternity. God raised us and he seated us and he's treating us with all privilege and all passion and all glory. Amen? We better get excited about that. Otherwise, we're living in the hull of the ship. Do you know what I'm saying? If we don't start embracing this, we're starting to live downstairs, eating off the scraps, not realizing what we could be experiencing. God's grace at work in our lives. He lavished upon us life and privilege and authority. You know, he says right here in the end of uh, verse 6, he says that he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 7, purpose statement. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. This is kind of what he's saying. You know, you'll, you'll look at someone who you knew was dead, right? And then you look back at God. And then you look back at this person who is just pristine and perfect and glorious. And you look back at God and you go, you're amazing. Wow. God is glorified in this. Here's, here's what doesn't happen. You're changed. You must be amazing. Wow. That's not what he's talking about. No attention is drawn to the created here. It is obvious that the creator has changed and moved and God gets the glory for all eternity. That's the purpose. Okay? You and I lavished upon so that we can be fully satisfied and so that he can be fully glorified. What a plan. What a plan. You see, in the midst of this, if the world teaches you're only satisfied if you get to do what self wants, 
they're leading you down a path of destruction. God's statement is, I've created you to be fully satisfied when you are coming down my plan and my path to glorify me. When you are restored to a relationship with me and seated next to me and enjoying privilege like never, ever before, serving in me, laughing in me, crying in me, spending time with me fully, that relationship is what's going to be fulfilling and satisfying. Go after me and you'll be fully satisfied and I'll be glorified. That's God's plan. Embrace that God has made you alive. You know, all too often, we experience the life, we get up, we start moving, we start living, and then we turn around and we crawl back on the slab. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, all too often, we're crawling back on the slab. You know a good way you know if you've crawled back on the slab? If your passions really don't look that much different from the world's. If you're sitting there talking with a friend and it's like everything they want, you want, and everything they're going after, you go after, and the way they'd go after it, you'd go after it, and there's no distinction, and they don't even know Jesus Christ. Uh Uh-oh. I am basically adopting the ways of the world. Another way you might know. You know what? This whole serving God thing, it just doesn't even sound, it sounds like work. It sounds like work with a negative connotation and in red and bold and like, I don't understand it. I don't want to do that. That sounds boring. I'd rather go after my own comfort. Oh, maybe I just made comfort my king. How often do we climb back on the slab when we make comfort more important than Jesus Christ himself? When we make our plans and our purposes and our selfish desires, the world's ways, more important than God's? We're starting to climb back on the slab and we're not living the life that he's created for us to be enjoyed and thrilled with and enthralled with. There is no message to share of Christianity if you are not embracing life in him. It's not about getting eternal life and then going back to living the way the world lived. That's junk. That is not biblical. It is about taking the life he's breathed into us and standing up and celebrating. Can you imagine like the the blind man who was made able to see? And he's like, yeah, I'm still just going to hang out here at the front and collect some alms here and there and Come on, the guy gets up and he's running up and down and talking to people. You've been given life. You've been converted from death to living. It's time to stand up and embrace it. Amen? It's time to go after it with all you've got. There is no more satisfying thing than walking in him. That's his plan. Go after him with everything you've got. Okay. Two different types of people that might be sitting here today. One of you, you might be saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I have never embraced some relationship with Jesus. I don't know how to do that. Let's talk about that for a second. The Bible is very clear that we stand before God. Every one of us has come up short. The the term is actually a Greek term, and it means that the arrow came up, didn't hit the target. It actually came up short and hit sand. It's like our word today, right? When you're pulling up from 23 feet to shoot in basketball, and you only shoot about 19 feet, you're about four feet short, right? And everybody cries, right? It's like shooting the air ball. That's what he's saying. It's a sports term. He said, come on, we've all shot the air ball. None of us have made it on our own effort. That's where we stand before God. And the penalty, eternal separation in him, from him. But God, in his love and mercy, has provided the alternative, a payment, Jesus shed blood, made available for you. And for me. 
So you can pay it yourself. That's eternal separation. That's what hell is defined as. Eternally separated from God. Or you can embrace God himself and have Jesus shed blood pay the payment for you. That's it. We need to engage in that by saying, God, please forgive me. Please use your shed blood to forgive me of my sins. I want a relationship with you that lasts for all eternity. Have you done that? Have you taken that step to accept the life being breathed into you? Now's the time if you haven't. Today's the day. God's saying, I'm calling you. It's time to respond. I'm ready to get you up out of the muck and walk you into my kingdom. Let me breathe new life into you. Let's just take a moment and let's just bow our heads, all of us, okay? If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know what I'm talking about. Just to take this moment to say, thank you, Lord. Very quietly to yourself, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. And Lord, if there's someone here today who hasn't, please move now. If you're here today and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I would like to do that. I haven't done it. Just say this after me, okay? You can say it quietly to yourself as I say it out loud. Something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, please forgive me for who I am. I know that I've shot an air ball and come up short of your plan. Please use your shed blood to forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for the price you paid on the cross. I thank you that you love me and you reach out to me. Please accept me as your child. Thank you for loving me so much. Amen. It is essential that if we're going through Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, we better come away with a gospel understanding. He is saying life is available. If you've done that today, please come and let me know afterwards. Stop by and let somebody know at the back table. We've actually got a packet back there that's uh, for those who have made first-time decisions. Get one of those packets. We want to talk with you, okay? This is an important, life-changing decision. Now, for those of you who have already trusted in Christ, what do I do next? Well, let me tell you something. It's time to sit up, it's time to stand up, and it's time to celebrate. God has made us alive. It's time for us to embrace the life that he's given us. It's time for us to say, God, may my living celebrate who you are to the praise of your glory. Amen? It's that simple. So first, recognize you were dead. Second, but God has made us alive. And lastly, thank him with your life. Thank him with your life. Check out verse 10 here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. I really wanted to make sure that I hit this carefully, okay? Verses 8 and 9 talk about, for by grace are ye saved through faith, right? So let's say this carefully. By faith are we saved? Actually, no, it's by grace, through faith. So what's the difference? Well, by means by the authority of, through the agency of. God's work, grace, through faith, the conduit. 
Like, we need to respond, okay? So it's God's work, our walk. That's what's going on as a part of our salvation. God's work and our walk. Notice that nowhere in there comes works, right? And then at the end of verses 8 and 9, he says, it's not of works, otherwise you could be boasting, standing in heaven going, you know why I'm here? You should have seen the 19 things I did. Woo, they were amazing, right? And the person's next to you is like, that's nothing. I did 23, and they were better than that, right? And then there's Billy Graham, and you're like, never mind, we're going to another room, right? So, like, if it's a works-based discussion, it just gets into meism, right? He says, it's not about that. Your works were nothing. You came up short. That's where you were with your own works. Now, verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You see, the good works, they come after salvation. It's God's grace, our faith, salvation, works. Did you see it? The works are afterwards just to say thank you. It's like, wow, I can't believe what you did for me, God. May I make a difference for you considering the difference you've made for me. That's the message of Christianity. Sadly, all too often it gets twisted up. They hear us talking about works in the world and they forget or they misunderstand that it came after salvation faith. May we never believe that the corpse laying out in the river with no life in it is being breathed into by works done by the corpse. It doesn't go, right? It's God Almighty breathing in life, grace, and we respond through faith and life is found. Amen? And from there we respond. Thank you, Lord, with my life. I am your workmanship. You know what that word means? The Greek word, poema. Do you hear it? Hear the English? Poem, right? We are his poem. We are his artistic effort. We are his special design. You could say it this way. We are poetry in motion. God has designed you to make a statement about his character. You are part of his artistic expression of himself. You are his workmanship. And he has created you for good works. He wants to be able to see you just roll it out. Okay? Does that make sense? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. If we see it that way, God's designed me to be most satisfied as I'm serving him, to be most happy when I'm seeing him glorified, when I'm seeing others healed, and helped and changed for forever. Now we're starting to get the big picture. We serve a God of life-giving, reconciling, earth-shattering, world-changing life. That's our God. That's him. He's pouring it out on you. Are you ready to pour some back? What is it that you're doing for him to say thank you? In your home. In the church. You have opportunities to be able to say, God, you've designed me and created me and crafted me to be able to serve you. May I reflect that back to you. May I show the world who you are as I serve you in this way. You know, I put together just a few things. Rhonda and I uh, threw these down on the back of your, of your uh, little insert. Just flip over your insert. Well, how could I serve here at Harvest? What are some things I could be doing for God right here in this place? I put together some thoughts, okay? First, the Hilltop team. Do you remember that term? We started that back in December. This is the prayer team that we talked about. We had a bunch of things going on with prayer before 
uh, the September-October time frame, but they were all kind of independently happening. So we put them all under one team name called the Hilltop Team, okay? And that Hilltop Team is being run by one of our elders, Ross Wuthrich. And his goal is to be able to put prayer in all the places around the church to support what God is doing, to call out to him. Give me some examples. Okay, I will. So before the 9 o'clock service, we have people that are praying in this area here for the space for you as you're coming, for safety, for hearts to be prepared. They're praying over the service for, for, pray, uh, for me as I present. They're praying that God would work. Then we have people during the service. Did you know that? During this service right now, there are people praying. We have people praying for you, that the Holy Spirit would move, that God would make things clear from his word. Are you a believer? This is a great spot for you to fit in to join up with our prayer teams, whether it be doing the before the service prayer time or maybe during a service, you know, once a month, one service. That's what they're doing. They're trying to get people to sign up for once a month, one service. Most of our services are already fully covered, but we need some help with people filling in and people being a backup. This is a chance for you to just kind of come on your knees before God. There's an agenda to pray through. You're praying through the order of service for God to be moving, for people's hearts and lives to be changed. It's a great privilege. The Hilltop team, okay? Second thing here, midweek student services. Aaron hit them during the announcements. You know, we're moving fifth and sixth grade is is meeting already on Sunday mornings. They're also now going to be meeting on Wednesday nights, both, okay? Sunday morning and Wednesday night, fifth and sixth graders. And they're meeting along with the seventh and eighth graders for a part of it just to do the worship. And then they're having their own separate full meetings. Fifth and sixth graders, seventh and eighth graders on Wednesday nights at a hotel right off of 74 over in Morton fantastic what God has provided for us there. We're really excited about what's going on. How do you fit in? Maybe it's working with 5th and 6th or with 7th and 8th, or maybe it's working with the high schoolers on Sunday nights. Does God give you a passion for kids and working with kids? We can use you. Let us know, okay? You know, there's a bunch of other opportunities on here. Children's ministries on Sunday morning, set up, tear down, worship, ushering, greeting. There's a lot of opportunities. We want to make sure you know, I put them on here so that you could see these are ways that you could be fitting in. God, how can I stand up and take a step towards serving you? Let me just tell you this. I love to teach. I love to share with people. I've done it my whole life in various ways, shapes, and forms in the lay ministry. But I stepped into full-time pastoring five years ago. And there was kind of one of these big steps out, you know? Like we didn't know what God was exactly calling us to, but we took that giant step. And I am telling you, we felt a calling to that for a while. And when we finally responded to, call, to the call that God gave us and did what he asked us to do and stepped out in obedience, we felt no more satisfaction, no more fulfillment than being right in the middle of his will. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying four years from now you'll be a senior pastor somewhere, right? I'm just saying embrace the fact that God's calling you to take a step. What's the step? Maybe it's serving and ushering or greeting. Maybe it's helping with the children's ministry in the morning or working with the midweek stuff. What passion has God given you to be able to be unleashed in this body? He's brought you here as a gift to us. How can we accept you as a gift and have you working for him, celebrating him? Does that make sense? We must thank him with our lives. Amen? Thank him with our lives. Amen? That's what we have to be going after. How can I say, you have taken me from dead in the streets and you have breathed new life into me. You have lifted me up. You have ushered me into the kingdom. You have given me new robes, cleaned up, sitting on the throne next to you and I have the privilege of serving you forever. 
Oh my word, what can I do for you, God? Amen? Let's find a way to serve him. Let's find a way to serve him. We've got people out in back. There's a, there's a work for Christ table if you want to sign up there. Don't let this opportunity go. I'm telling you, you get stirred up. You go, I should do that. You go home and then you let it subside. It's time to do something. What are you going to do? What's God stirring you to go after? Let's thank him with our lives this year. Not just have life breathed in and be sitting on the slab. Amen? Let's go after it.